Good evening, and thanks for joining me on Civic Sparks, the show where we talk to civic leaders from around the globe on all topics of civic advancement. We have a great first show lined up with you for some really talented guests, but first, I want to give a quick shout out to 423media.com for producing all the overlays, the graphics, the transitions, the cool video backgrounds, and all this stuff. Visit them at 423media.com. Now, let's get to our guests. Our first guest, Mr. Rob Lloyd, is the Chief Information Officer for the City of San Jose, California. Welcome. And coming up next is our Mr. Jerry Dreisen. I'll get your name right. Jerry Dreisen. (laughs) Great to be here. So let's start first with the obvious question. Um, When you talk about tech and you talk about uh, being in the the public sector, what drew you to want to be in the public sector in the first place? Start with Rob. Uh, So what what, what drew me in was... um, you know, uh, two things, I, I think, in particular. One is, um, if you're going to occupy space in, in your community, uh, really, you should um, be giving to it and, and um, earning, your, earning your space and, um, and uh, delivering onto others um, a, a, at least a positive message and a, and a positive role. Uh, you know, one of the great things about what we do, Brent, and, and you're in this uh, cadre of ours, is we, we take these beautiful communities and we get appointed stewards of them and our job is literally to give it back one day to someone else more beautiful, more vibrant than it was given to us. And that is, that is a, a, a wonderful chore um, and, and a wonderful responsibility to have. Uh, number two is uh, when I was transitioning out, um, of, I was going down the medicine path and said, what's going to be vibrant enough to keep me interested? The ability to connect um, something that, that stays changing all the time and stays a challenge with helping people. Um, I, I don't know anything else that could quite capture your attention and imagination like the work that we do. Yeah, I agree with you. How about you, Jerry? Yeah, it sounds cliche that I'm in government because I want to make a difference, but it's actually true in my case. I've been um, actually, I remember still my high school civics course is the one course that woke me up and I was like, hey, this is pretty cool. Um, back when I was a teenager and thinking about high school wasn't that cool. Um, and uh, I've been passionate, <laughs> passionate about making a difference in civic service, made a career out of it. Um, both my degrees, uh, undergraduate and graduate are in public administration and, and uh, really passionate about committing. Um, my career life to uh, making a difference in communities and especially local government that is closest to people's lives. If you think about it, the IT portion of it, um, it's all about leveraging change and, and improving service, right? Absolutely. And yeah, I know I, I like to go to sleep at night and know that I'm doing something good for the community. So what kind of cool stuff you got going on in San Jose? Ooh, uh, do you want to go first here or you want me to? Oh, you know, I'm going to say SJ three and one and CRM, and I want and I want to beat you to it. So, uh, um, yeah, one of the things kind of talking about that theme of um, getting as close to the customers. I remember when I first joined uh, San Jose, uh, Rob took me out for dinner and said, "Do you want to run business solutions or do you want to take over the call center?" And I looked at him funny and said, um, "Well, I've actually ran business applications before." why would I want to run a call center? And, um, and uh, eventually uh, uh, after I worked on the business application side and, and, and the call center came to me anyway, and our CRM app, SJ3 and one, after Rob did some great work with uh, google.org and moving towards the Omni channel, um, I've been working on SJ3 and one now for, for about a, a year and a half. And I've come to realize that call center and, and our three in one platform, actually the voice of the city. It, it, it's the intake system for all city requests 
And if we really want to make a difference in streamlining city services, that's the place to do it. And so we did some great things over the last year and a half on our uh, SJ3 and one CRM platform. We introduced uh, uh, Google's uh, AutoML language translation with 95%, 98% accuracy based on translators. Um, uh, and they did that by actually de-jargonizing uh, government language and then also uh, doing match pair sets and, and uh, training um, uh, AI on how to translate better also implemented some new services, increased our customer service satisfaction, and really streamlined the services in SJ3 and 1 and um, increasing usage by our, by our uh, uh, residents. So pretty proud of that one. And, and the things I would add is, <clears throat> so about five years ago, we started that journey about 311 being not just um, a staid um, call center, but actually the focal point from which we do uh, customer touch technologies. And, and let me toot Jerry's horn some more. So the ability to meet residents where they are, to bridge over language barriers, to connect that with insights we have into who we're serving and who we're missing, um, to get to an equity approach that we said in 2019 was going to be definitive of our next three years. Little did we know in 2020, the pandemic would hit and and even uh, make more clear that imperative. And then just the ability to touch all those technologies. there, There are things we can do now that we literally couldn't do five years ago. Um, and then uh, he, he and Herman and uh, Kia um, and, and the teams, just the ability to create new services and um, iterate those very quickly and to approach some of the community problems by uh, digital services and, and a, a drive to digital approach. Uh, super important in our pandemic. And it's going to be even more important as we reinvent our services heading forward, especially with that resident-centric philosophy. A couple others I would share with you, um, Brent, just, just for reference. Um, the, the ability to actually take our Wi-Fi pilot that we did with Eastside Union High School District, and we piloted in one of the attendance areas, that's a, a Title I attendance area, 80% free and reduced lunch, uh, proxy for poverty. And so we connected and covered about 30,000 people. And then when the pandemic hit, they said, we need you to, the teachers and parents um, came on to Zoom and told council, we need you to do that for all of us now. And so over the course of the last year and a half, we've now covered almost 200,000 people, um, have over 100,000 people using it per month, uh, plus a partnership with AT&T to give um, cellular Wi-Fi to folks, but to be the difference and the solution uh, to a core problem in a moment of need, that, that, that's powerful stuff. And then the secure and resilient city, all the things that we have to build and, and the connections we have to make with our utilities. Uh, we have seven critical infrastructure areas here at the city of San Jose. Um, and so to be able to make sure that we stay firm and solid and, and can recover from an earthquake as much as a cyber attack, uh, those are really important. All the way to kind of the internal stuff, you know, we're the um, leanest big city in the country. Uh, we just did our IT strategic plan and on every of the top 20 cities, we're number 10. But on every resource measure, we're bottom three um, and bottom um, on some of those. Uh, so we have to do a lot with a little. And the only way you do that was with amazing people and, and stellar partnerships. Um, but one of those things is the HCI, um, our hyper-converged infrastructure, taking it to multi-cloud to give ourselves um, a hyper-efficient way to administer 400 systems with you know, less than five people. Um, I mean, th- those types of approaches. And, and the last thing I would add is, one of the gifts we have, Brent, is being in Silicon Valley is um, we have lots of the mo- world's most brilliant cities or brilliant companies trying to work with the city and, and do and do um, civic good. Uh, so we get to partner with some tremendous folks here. And Jerry's done some uh, incredible projects, uh, but that that's our secret sauce here, how we bridge the resource gap 
is we tap really smart people and smart companies and, and, and uh, do amazing things with them. Yeah, that's interesting you brought that up because, you know, speaking of the pandemic, that kind of changed the way that we work, right? So there's a lot more remote work. So you, you, you've got all these wonderful resources there. How is remote and the pandemic changed the way that your work culture is uh, there? And how is that affecting San Jose? So uh, let me lay out the three uh, phases that we defined right at the beginning um, and, and let Jerry uh, uh, go further because he actually owned a couple of those major pieces. One is we said, you know, this first month to two months when the pandemic hit and we sent everyone home and turned to a virtual organization literally in two days. Uh, we had a couple other areas that took a couple weeks to get fully virtual, but almost all the city we sent home and went virtual. We said the first phase is we're just re-enabling ourselves to do things the way we've always done that. Phase two, uh, which is going to uh, start in parallel with phase one, but that's actually um, allowing ourselves to have access to productivity and collaboration solutions that we can communicate and work together in ways that we haven't in the past, but are going to be really core in this uh, pandemic response phase. And then we said we will not keep our eye off the ball, though, is all of this is going to lead up to how we transform ourselves in our service delivery. This is going to be a, a ramp, not a pit. Um, and that ramp is going to allow us to do the digital services drive. And so um, we have things like internally creating the portals to make sure people can find each other, find resources and information, um, do business process automation. So to take a lot of our administrative processes and make them electronic uh, to actually expose those on the outside where we needed to um, do the 214RRs for uh, resources in our EOC all the way to allowing folks to um, apply and open up outdoor uh, seating for restaurants so that they could survive. A lot of those things, but to go from re-enabling to working better to service uh, transformation um, and, and digital service drives, that, that was our path. But Jerry, what would you add? Yeah, so we also, um, when we thought we were out of the pandemic the first time, which was uh, June, <laughs> uh, June of last year, July of last year, we actually started planning um, things were looking a little bit better. We were planning for recovery, and we partnered heavy with HR. So IT, and you don't see that very often, IT, um, the assistant director of uh, HR and the assistant director of IT, me, um, we we paired together uh, on an effort called Powered by People, which was actually located out of our um, uh, emergency operations center. And so we had the uh, what that gave us was um, kind of the uh, ability, authority to pull in um, uh, resources into the EOC branch to start reconstructing our processes, redesigning our business processes, and moving to full automation. And at the same time, and we we use um, objectives and key results and a very agile in the city and, and scrum process, we were literally driving those around, what is it going to take um, to keep our employees safe and productive and, and to op optimize the way that they collaborate across teams in a, in a virtual or hybrid environment? And we dedicated... Um, uh, a lot of time to that and uh, in focusing specifically on that. I'll be honest, you know, when we first stood up, um, as Rob mentioned, uh, the city to, to remote, um, we did it fast and um, and, uh, and and it functioned. Um, but there were things that uh, we knew for the long haul that we had to invest in to truly make it a, a highly effective environment um, for our staff and, and teams um, in a hybrid environment. So poured that on uh, uh, over the last year pretty hard. Yeah, I know. I remember our, our, our transition. It took about 24 hours and, and it was it was great, but it was a, it was difficult for some employees who weren't used to working remotely to, to kind of jump on board with that process. Did you have any issues with that? Not, not really. I, I mean, there, there were some people who had to adjust, but oh, sorry, Jerry. Um, uh, uh, but we did. Yeah, I think the thing that cities did well was 
folks understood and it became it became possible because the moment demanded it of us. Um, uh, Jerry, though, we, we had some difficulties. Like we didn't have enough laptops and, and Jerry became um, laptop master um, for us and, and was working with the Powered by People, making sure people had those um, the equipment that they needed, uh, rolling out um, uh, different access mo- models like CASB, a uh, cloud access security broker, all those other things. But Jerry, um, uh, you were deep in it. Yeah, you know, I I actually was surprised the other way. I mean, we we um put moved our call center to full full remote um from full on prem, and I, I actually worried um about that. They uh it was amazing. Um, you know, taking uh, uh payment uh, credit card payments and moving to you know remote and all of that in in a short period of time um went way more smoothly than 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 I would think you know rob mentioned a little bit about um getting people mobile equipment and and uh and and also uh remote access um those were the areas that we had to make some adjustments as we as we rolled into it but um it uh it actually from a people standpoint what it probably proved is how agile our workforce is and how um we can actually uh uh you know move into the hybrid environment and and um and, and people can adapt uh, pretty well yeah, how how difficult do you think this this transition is going to be to recruiting and retaining employees? Is that going to be um, anything for San Jose? You think? Um, I'll answer you in three ways. Is we were and our ambition previously was to be competitive because we'd be the most flexible, and so we said we can't win the pay and perks battle in Silicon Valley. Um, our people will never never own yachts. Um, be lucky if they ever own a a, a, a Tesla S. Um, uh, they have to save pretty well to get there, but we could win on flexibility. And the crazy thing about, um, and so we had some irons in the fire, the, the contact center that Jerry mentioned, we had allowed them to do a day to on um, two days remotely. And so a lot of the things that we kind of had invested in turned out to be absolutely essential. Our partnership with Zoom that we did in uh, late 2017 to 2018, when they were a small company, um, the productivity and collaboration work that we did to make Office 365 robust, um, uh, the all those things kind of came to a head and in some ways we're lucky and in some ways we're smart, but we thought that we could win the flexibility, but now every company is doing the same thing. Right. And and so heading forward, I think we do, do still have some work to do on how we hire, build culture, make sure people are healthy um, and some skills that we have to ingrain in our managers to lead um, and, and senior managers and executives to lead differently. Um, but I, I do think you can still compete and in some ways compete better. Um, that's the second one. Third one, though, is is a challenge that we've run into is to be a multi-state employer isn't something that's going to be practical for us. Uh, so we we aren't going to be able to kind of tap a national workforce as much as we originally thought because of some legal analysis that we've done, at least in California. And, you know, maybe if we're um, a national company to start with and, and there's a large um, cadre of people we'd be employing in every state, that would make more sense. But some of it logistically isn't going to work out as well as we had originally hoped. Other ways, it's worked out better than we could have ever even uh, planned and dreamed. Um, but all of us are going to be figuring this out. Uh, one key thing, um, and, and Jerry um, uh, and I had to figure this out for some folks, is in California, we have that disaster services worker um, statute that if a disaster hits, um, you can be appointed to go wherever we need you to go to be responding to that, uh, that disaster, be a pandemic or an earthquake. And when you have that remote workforce, you over-rotate towards the people who are um, here and then the other ones are kind of exempted. So, so there are some battles and, and some struggles on, on how we figure out some of those pieces. But in the grand scheme of things, worth worth the, the travel of, of the of the trail. 
Yeah, we have that same issue here where everybody that works for the city uh, has to be living in the state of Tennessee. And we're right on the edge of Alabama and Georgia. So it's very easy for people to commute. But unfortunately, because they live, if they have a Georgia address, the, the city, well, we can't do it. So we have gotcha. that same issue. Um, Anything you would add on that, though, Jerry? Because we, we've had to figure out a couple things in, in a number of areas. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, I, I, I could bring up some examples of multi-state living because I still have a house in Minnesota. But, um, <laughs> I, you know, the other thing I would say on the retention side, um, and I think we do a pretty good job of this in San Jose, um, one of our competitive edges is inspiring people on that making a difference. And I think the people in the IT department um, that see this stuff going on in the transformation are happy to be a part of it. And I, I, I want to say, and I'm not going to pretend that, you know, some of the pay and, and some of that isn't an issue and a challenge because it is, but um, I do think one of our competitive things is still that sense of purpose. Um, we believe in it. Both Rob and I are passionate about it and you can, you can see it on us every day. Um, but, but I think all our, our people are too. And um, so I think sometimes we, um, we grab people that quite frankly, um, they, they want the, uh, how's that go, Rob? The fulfillable hour, not the billable hour. And they actually, yep. um, they actually just really want to uh, contribute the way that we do. And, and, um, and that is a competitive edge too. Yeah. Let, let me add one more thought on that one is, um, so the city of San Jose, when I got here, one of the things in my confirmation hearing that council said you need to fix was the IT department had had a 36 plus percent vacancy and attrition rate for almost four years. And we came in and said, why are people coming and leaving? Um, and the hiring approach on Jerry's point was we want to compete for those um, people who would work at Apple. Um, and, and they come in wanting a raise every quarter or a promotion every quarter. And we said, no, that's not what we're going to do. We're going to hire the people who are going to care the most and be technically good. Um, but if you give me someone who's technically good, we can get them to great. Um, if you give me someone who doesn't care, I can't get them there. And so we work hard to, to hire and retain people um, who actually care about the work in a deep way. And they look out that window and they see the, family, the families that are thriving and the businesses that are growing. And that means something to them. And that they have the technical capacity and keep on building on that. Because if you have that motivating piece that I believe in the civic tech cause, because GovTech is an industry, right? Civic tech is a mission. They believe and connect with a mission. They believe and connect with being a good teammate. We've been able to build a phenomenal team. And again, smallest big city IT team in the country. And yet we can accomplish huge goals. Yeah. And that huge pay disparity uh, we're, we're running through that problem right now ourselves, actually. It's uh, it's very difficult to find and retain people, um, especially if they, they, you know, a lot of companies around here are hiring people from California and, and from other places. And our housing market has skyrocketed because all the people coming out from California and from, from New York City buying up all the land and all the, all the property, and it's causing the property values to go way up. Um, yeah, in, in a good school district, a house here costs $1.5, $1.6 yeah. million. Dollars. So if you go to Chattanooga and say, $400,000 house, I'll give you five hundred. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> Sold. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, switching back over to the to the remote topic for a second, there's something I wanted to touch base on. So, how, how what percentage of your not just the city itself? I mean, we talk about the city, but just IT for a minute. What percentage of your department is actually fully remote? Going to remain remote? Um, is there any any you know people coming in and out of the office more frequently? 
Go ahead, Jerry. So the no, I mean, the number that we had during the pandemic of full remote was 40%. Um, I would say because of Delta, uh, we're probably still at that number citywide is 40%. That's taking in consideration police, fire, you know, um, uh, certain jobs are that obviously can't be remote um, at all. And so um, we're at 40%. So that's the full remote um, access that we're talking about uh, moving to hybrid um, uh, uh, forever. And, and, and right now, Rob, I don't know if you want to talk about this, but um, right now we're at one day per week in the office because of Delta again. Um, and we're probably going to move back to two to three days in, in the office. Uh, um, and that's, that's where that's where at least we plan for it to, to be um, long-term. Uh, yeah, and, and probably more too than, than three, not all, uh, because then we have kind of a cultural uh, cliff where some people are here and, and they feel more dedicated and they feel more involved than others who are happy to be remote, but then you see kind of um, dissensions that, that they, they aren't fully connected and they kind of miss out. So um, let me tell you, Three other points, um, uh, Brent, is, is one of the things we said was we're going to match the customer cadence. So if the customers have to be here one day a week, so are we. And we're going to make sure that we always have someone on site available uh, for them. Uh, number two is because we followed the science, we didn't have a single infection out of 103 employees right now um, throughout the pandemic that's work-related. There, there were a couple of numbnuts who um, did some things outside of work um, that, that they had some exposures. Um, and sometimes not their fault. Uh, so let me not go too far. But um, but when you practice uh, good process and good hygiene and, and follow the science, you can actually stay quite safe. But heading forward, we do see people have to have some connection um, to the workplace and to their team. And the teams actually benefit from deciding how that cadence should work. It's like, you've got this day, I've got this day. Uh, we've got a project coming. So more of us are going to have to come in in this period. But the work and your customer should steer that schedule. You shouldn't just set it because that's what we prefer um, or because it's quote unquote flexible. Um, and, and we get some pushback in some places, but the customers have been unequivocal that they, they have felt that we've supported them every step of the way. Um, you know, the survey and the um, operational assessment report was 83% of, of our um, city rated on the IT response and support that they received as having everything that they needed and, and good to excellent, right? So, um, they, they were ex extremely filled with esteem on our response, but that's that's where we connect that flexibility with our ability um, to be um, uh, responsive and, and ingrained with our customer culture. That's a good way of looking at it. Rob? Yeah, I just want to add one more one more thing into that too. I, you know, I just today actually did a um, a six month probationary review for an employee that I never met in person before. Um, <laughs> you know, right, and so and did it uh, online, and and I, we we returned our council members um, back uh, uh, to council chambers for um, uh, you know in person council meetings uh, a while back, and and um, and didn't realize that they had never. They'd never been on the dais before. They'd never voted in, in the, you know, for a year. So some of this, um, I mean, what you kind of took oh, for just to, before, Sorry, Sorry, Jerry, just to interrupt. Just to clarify, what Jerry is saying is that when we had new council members, when COVID hit, they literally had never attended a council session from the dais in person, just, just to be very clear about that. And so they were like, what do I do? You're like, oh, my God, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, teach them how to vote in in person and all that, you know, and 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 our employees too. I think um, there is a longing for kind of the human interaction and in person um, piece. Uh, you know, we're all human and and we enjoy. I, I mean, 
we spend a lot of time at work and 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 getting to know those around us in person i think is an important aspect and that's why you know the powered by people became a a very important thing for us but i think uh the only other thing on on this um hybrid work is uh to keep in mind is the human part of that um and 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 part of that family and in person is still pretty important too yeah we were talking about that uh the other day regarding like our innovation district, right? Our offices are actually in the middle of our innovation district in downtown. And part of that innovation district is to have those collisions with other people. So you have those conversations, mm -hmm. right? That's the whole idea is to spark those, those innovational conversations. You don't just get together in a meeting room one day and say, hey, let's innovate and come up with great ideas. It just kind of happens naturally and on the fly. So when you're remote, it's very difficult to have water cooler conversations. It's very difficult to go up two floors in a building and, and, and visit with uh, an, another group of individuals in another agency or something like that. How, how, how do you handle that? I, I think part of um, what we said is that we do have some on-site presence. Um, we, we still have our employee recognition committee and, and uh, those events. It was actually, we did an online escape room that was exceedingly popular. But the honest answer, Brent, is I think we're missing some of that. Um, and and so finding that balance of the here time um, that the right people have the chance to, to kind of have those collisions and hit critical mass on, on ideas. Um, and then also, um, how are we managing the people remotely to make sure that they're not overextending and they're not on for 14 hours or they're not um, right. on for 80 hours in a week? Yeah. Um, and, how, and how we prompt managers to pay attention to their people differently because you can't see if someone is, is necessarily doing better or worse. Um, but you have to care about them. Um, and, and you can't see it. You can't let it also be out of mind. The research has been very clear. The only bad uh, manager in this virtual world is the one who's trying to manage the same uh, or not manage at all. You have to try differently. You have to pay attention differently. And, and we all have that as an incumbent responsibility as, as a leader. Um, but I, I, the honest answer is I think we're missing some of the things that were brilliant that used to be there. But also this flexibility is deeply valued by a lot of our employees, especially with Bay Area traffic um, and the, the cost of living here. So it is going to be a balance. Um, but uh, and Jerry's had a lot of experiences too with some of his staff, um, but yeah, he can give you other insights. Yeah, we say, you know, the closest thing we've gotten in the virtual world, I mean, we spent a lot of time... We, we also brought in some human-centered design, um, learning labs, and innovation academies. Um, uh, brought in um, Brian Elms, who's with Peak Academy, um, uh, uh, Judy uh, Brown from Civic Makers uh, uh, Partners, and we a lot of mural boards, right? So, we're, um, but I, I will tell you, as much as I love the mural boards and, and bringing that together and doing human-centered design, it, you know, it, it's not the same. Uh, um, so I think it is a struggle. I do think you can do um, some pretty creative and innovative work virtually um, uh, through agile processes and, and, and the stuff we've done. But um, I, I do think there's a longing. And I know in, in IT, it's like when we see each other in person, it's like, ah, you know, everybody gets a little bit excited. Remember, first time I saw saw another person on the elevator, I'm like, I mean, there was a point in time during COVID. I'm like, these elevators never have anyone on them. Why is there someone else on here? So anyway, yeah. How many how many stalled hugs? How, how many stalled hugs have we seen, Jerry? Where like someone's about to hug? He's like, oh wait, wait, this elbow bump. Yeah. <laughs> Don't touch me. Yeah. Right. Actually, we we did see uh, this interesting thing where people wear different color bands. It's like I'm okay with a hug. I'm okay with a, a fist bump. Uh, I'd rather you not be anywhere near me. Um, and, and so, uh, we, we joked that that might be a fundraiser idea that you just buy the band and people know which, uh, which kind of, uh, contact that you're, you're appreciative of. 
Right. And let's look a minute about the, the, the paradigm shift that the uh, pandemic has caused for all of us. And looking at things from a municipal standpoint, does that mean that our IT budgets are going up? Does that mean that we're going to spend more on technology? Does that mean we're going to have or you think things are going to kind of level out and stay the same? Go ahead, Jerry. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think the answer is yes. Um, in our case, uh, we, you know, um, uh, we have the double down on digital as part of our strategic plan. And and uh, we just did during during COVID, we wrapped up our, our three and then, well, COVID caused us to turn a three-year plan uh, into a four-year plan. We extended it, um, but then uh, then uh, did another three-year uh, plan that um, was just approved by council um, uh, last month, I think, Rob, right? And, and uh, so part of that is double down on digital because we do realize that um, uh, COVID and hybrid, it's all taught us a lot. And, um, and, uh, and certainly we've used some of our ARP money or CRF money, uh, some of those to, um, uh, keep up the good that's come out of COVID. Um, it, that may be a surprising way to put it, but we have learned some valuable things and, um, and we are, uh, we're going to continue with those. And so, um, IT budgets going up is part of that. What I do worry about, how do you create this sustainable uh, funding source? Because um, as, as we all know, because uh, we've been doing this a long time, initial investments are great, but IT needs uh, care long-term, right? You don't just build it and then neglect it. So um, I think uh, the only way to do that is those initial funds and then do I identify a way to sustain it? Yeah, exactly. I'm not sure if you noticed this, but Jerry and I probably were born as twins and just separated at some point. We might not look it, but um, and, and the, the, the two things I would say in tandem with that is this is our moment. Um, cities, counties, states actually have one time investments to transform themselves at scale with significant funds for the very first time. And so if you're not at that table, if you're not being called. Our budget office, our city manager's office, was literally calling us when our direct recipient funds for CRF landed and saying, what do we need? What do we need to do? And we, we turned that into an investment plan uh, for, uh, for the pandemic response. Uh, when um, the ARPA funds arrived, said, all right, what do we do, need to do now? And how do we change that um, ongoing stream? So because that sustaining funding is actually going to be essential. But if it literally, if you're not having those conversations and being thought of first, second, or third in that 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 conversation, you're, those IT departments and those cities are going to be behind uh, five, ten years. So watch the ones that were ready to help and that received the investment, and those are the communities I think that are going to shine for the next ten years. Yeah, speaking of the next five, ten years, uh, where, where, where do you think we're going as far as tech in, in the civic spaces? And is San Jose. I'll, I'll give you three. Yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll give you three. Um, and then Jerry's going to give you a lot of great ideas, too. So number one for us is the equity solution. So how do we invest in technology and data that get at these really transformative questions that are affecting all urban areas now? Housing and security with um, eviction moratoriums expiring, a homelessness and blight, different transportation models and modes. Um, you got a justice and police reform. No one of those problems is one department, nor is it one community. And so you've got these, these uh, multi-domain transformative questions that we're actually being asked to be a part of and saying, hey, we need your help. We need you to be part of this. Otherwise, we can't do it. Um, so number one is equity-focused technology and solutions. Number two is the optimization. So how do we um, make that organization that has productivity plus collaboration plus digital services 
connecting two of our strategic plan goals. This is our chance to actually, um, as Jerry said, double down on digital services and, and make them solve some of the access, equity, um, and efficiency problems that cities often have. And then the third is we see some major investment and change coming from the disaster risk, which is both kinetic, um, earthquakes for us, um, and, uh, and sometimes floods, and then cyber disasters. We're going to be investing a lot of time and effort to build that secure and resilient city. Um, and so I, I think those three avenues, equity, secure and resilient city, and efficiency um, and, and digital service delivery, those those three categories are where we're going to be shaping our investments and our people. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, I'll add just two. Um, one is, and, and, and maybe this is this, the kind of civics, civics guy in me, but um, the public participation in government, I mean, that's one of the goods of COVID, right? We went from a couple hundred people going to a council meeting to like 8,000 because we literally put it in people's homes. Um, so we're putting government in people's homes now. And I think that extends to the service delivery aspect of this too. Um, um, we certainly, we, we lit up in our CRM app, um, um, you know, garbage recycling service and immediately overnight, um, you know, it, it, the usage uh, just erupted because um, uh, we automated it because it it was convenient and and um, and and people are busy and 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 now they're in their home more than they ever have been um, and uh, and and you're offering um, uh, the ability to participate in the home and they don't have to come into the office and so mm-hmm. hopefully that stays. Um, I think that's uh, that's something that I hope in the next five years we get more of. And uh, and the other thing is, um, I think culturally, um, we 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 have really looked internally. Uh, we brought in Harvard Business School community partners, and they looked at that intersection between um, we need to have an internal focus and an external focus. We really need to think about how are our processes designed, and how are, how do our employees interact with each other in the community and reflect from the outside in to what does the community really want from the government. So um, I'm hoping for greater alignment between the expectations that our communities have and um, what we actually deliver in an automated or in a um, physical way. So um, I'm optimistic about that as well. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of changes, definitely. All right, gentlemen. Well, thank you so much. That's our show. Appreciate you guys being here, spending some time with us and answering a few questions. Yeah, actually, um, that went too fast. But uh, Brent, congratulations on the book. Uh, I'll be honest, I'm about halfway through it. And so I have more notes to do. And then I will get something up on um, on LinkedIn for you here uh, as soon as I finish. Good, great. Let's see. I, I guess I'm on one page 155, 100. <laughs> roughly 100 pages left oh yeah you're, no actually only about 60 pages you're you're you're, you're close you're almost <laughs> all right well, congratulations that's a great achievement i appreciate you guys coming on the show and we will i'm going to see you guys in next week actually so yep, see you in san diego right, thanks brian don't remember don't hug me we're, we're gonna elbow <laughs> <laughs> all right have a great well. night all right guys see ya bye-bye That's it for this edition of Civic Sparks. Join me in two weeks when I speak with Dr. Jonathan Reichenthal about his new book, Smart Cities, Blockchain in the Public Sector, and a few other topics. So on behalf of our guests and the Spark Cities crew, thank you so much for watching and participating. We'll see you next time.